0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzie, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. You know, it seems... Like doors of opportunity open and close around us in life all the time. And it's almost to the point where uh, that we're living amongst a life of revolving doors in our lives. You know, we walk into this room and all we see are doors opening, closing, opening and closing. But the whole question we have tonight is, does God, is God the one who opens and closes all those doors? You've heard the saying that when God shuts one door, he opens up another. And as we've been doing throughout this series, we've been looking at all these well known sayings to see what it really says in the Bible about them. So when God opens one door and, and, and opens another, excuse me, when he God shuts one door and opens the other, is that phrase actually in Scripture? Is it in the Bible? No, not those exact words. They're not found in the Bible anywhere. However, out of all the phrases that we've been looking at, and probably all the phrases that we will be looking at, this is probably closer to the truth than any of those other statements that we've looked at. Okay, but I, I haven't, I've been trying to give you the original sources of all the sayings that we've been looking at and I had a really hard time figuring out what was the, or the origin to this saying. So I haven't really found it, but I found a, a very famous quote uh, when Alexander Graham Bell was still living. And he said, when, a, when one door closes, another opens, but we often look so long and so regretfully upon the open door, that, uh, upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened up for us you know, the best example of open and closed doors that we see in Scripture is in Acts 16, verses 6 through 12. Go ahead and start opening up there. And as you do, Paul and his friends, in this right before this passage, they're launching their second missionary journey from Antioch. And along the way, they start to encounter some closed doors. And then they finally come to an open door in their missionary journey. So let's go ahead and look at it. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 6. Look all the way to verse 12. Acts 16, 6 through 12. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Now, when they had gone through uh, Figria and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they had tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Choas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you again for today and I thank you for this opportunity to praise you. Father, clear our minds and our hearts of everything happening in our lives, good, bad, and different. So the only thing in, in person we're focusing on is you. Father, we just thank, thank you for giving us this word to study. So fill us with the Holy Spirit now so we might be able to get uh, uh, some of your wisdom, whatever wisdom you think we deserve. Father, give it to us now and continue to direct us on how to use in our everyday lives. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see in this passage that God told Paul to take the gospel out to the world, and now specifically to Gentiles, and Paul, well, he, he was obeying God and doing just that. Well, as he was traveling and going on a second missionary journey, Paul starts to try to go northeast, and he tries to head up into Asia Minor. But the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. let's not do that. Look at verse 6 again. Verse 6, it says... Uh, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. See, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. In other words, God shut the door on them. God just shut the door on Paul and the people that were following Paul at that particular time. And so since God shut that door for Paul to go up to Asia, Paul then decides to go ahead and travel north instead of northeast and starts to go into Bithynia, which is towards Russia today. And once again, what does God do? Well, verse 7 tells us he shut the door again. Now think about this. This must have been a puzzling time for Paul right then and there. He was on this mission for God. He wanted to be able to get the gospel out to everybody and anyone that he could. And God is telling him to go, and he goes. But now all the doors that he's trying to go through are being shut right in front of his face. Well, the great thing about Paul is he kept pressing on. And he didn't go back home He didn't go and and hide in a corner and say, okay, well, God, you keep shutting the doors for me and whatnot. He kept going out. He kept moving. This time he started to move west. And by the time he came to Troas, by the way, which is Turkey today, God opened a door for him to go over into Macedonia, which is what we call Greece. Now think about the importance of this right now. See, when Paul was in Troas, he had a vision for, with a uh, with man in front of him saying, come with us, come with us. And Paul understood this to be God's directive. So he took the gospel into Greece instead of Asia Minor. See, this is the first time that the gospel penetrated the European continent. And many of us in this room today, if you look back far enough, are of some sort of European descent. So we should be glad that Paul paid attention to God's closed doors and didn't try to kick it open on himself. But he walked into the open doors that God had opened for him because if Europe didn't get the message of the gospel, many of us in this room would have never received it either. Think about that. That's how important this is. So as you and I, as we start to consider open and closed doors tonight, I think we can learn four beautiful things about following God's will, about finding his will and following his God's will, finding his will. The first thing I think we can find is that God will guide you if you only trust him. God will guide you if you only trust him. See, you and I, we're not placed on this earth just to stumble in around the dark, you know, trying to figure out where we're supposed to be, trying to figure out where, what we're supposed to be doing. See, our God of the universe, the creator of the whole universe, the creator of you and me, he is interested in everything of you. Do you hear that? God is interested not just in you, but in everything about you. And he has a pathway for you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with with all your heart and and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. See, God wants to guide you. He wants to be able to give you direction in your life. But there's a lot of confusion when it comes to figuring out what God's will is. Now, if you're anything like me, you just kind of sit there and wonder, God, help me. I don't understand it. What is your will in my life? What is it? But as you seek to follow God, I think it'll be helpful to understand two guiding principles to figure out his will. First, we have to be careful not to ask the wrong question. And that question is, what is God's will for my life? We cannot ask that question. Now I know on the surface, that sounds like a simple question. It sounds like a fine question, but there's something very wrong with that question. And it's it's two words, my life, my life. What we should be asking is what is God's will? What is God's will? See on the surface, the difference between these two seem very minor, but they're different as a lightning bug and lightning. In the first question, the focus is on me. What is God's will for me? But in the second question, the focus is on God and what he's already doing in the world. See, God already has a plan in motion before we were born and He'll have a plan after we leave this earth. Do you believe that? I'll quote uh, one of my favorite authors, Henry Blackaby, later in this message. But um, in his book, Experiencing God, he points out that God is already active in this world. And our job is to find out what God is doing and then to join him in his work. Not try to fit him in what we want to do. In Acts 16, God was saving the Gentiles. See, God was in the process of taking the gospel to the Roman Empire and Paul found doors closed until he got in on God's plan. So we need to stop asking for God to show us his will for our lives and start asking him to show us what he is doing. And then we need to join him in his efforts. Second point is that God often reveals his will in segments God often reveals his will in segments. See, when God first to- called Paul to take the good news out to the Gentiles, he didn't give him all the details right away, did he? He didn't tell Paul, hey, hey, Paul, I need you to do me a favor. Go out to Philippi, and then I need you to go to Athens, and I need you to go over to Corinth. He didn't say that, did he? God just said, go. And so Paul went. And so Paul goes, Paul goes, And as Paul traveled, God starts to reveal every step that he needs him to take. And that's the same thing that God told Abraham way back in the Old Testament many, many years ago. He didn't say, Abraham, I have a land for you and your descendants. He said, Abraham, go. Later on, he told them a little bit more. And as time went on, he found out that there would be a land for his descendants. See, many people... We want God to show them the full picture of His plan for their for their lives. Wouldn't it be nice if God would just say, "Hey, Nick, this is where I want you to go. Well, after you graduate high school, go to this specific college. These are the classes I specifically want you to take. This is the the woman I need you to marry, Nick." This is where I want you to live. This is the job I want you to have. This is where I want you to retire. And this is where I want you to die and be buried. Would it be so much easier if God did that? But it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. God reveals his plan in stages and steps throughout our lives. Because following God isn't about our destination. Following God is all about the journey. That's why it's so, so, it's so important for us to listen to his will step by step. You know, there's a contemporary song uh, sung by Cadman's call. It's called Step by Step. You may know it. I won't spare you the, 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 the singing of it, but I believe we need to be doing what it says in his lyrics. Listen to it. Oh, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning and I'll learn to walk in your ways. Step by step, you'll lead me and I'll follow you all of my days. So as we consider open and closed doors, the first thing that we find about following God's will is that God will guide us if we only trust him. That was number one. Number two. Don't be disappointed by closed doors. Don't be disappointed by closed doors. You know, as Paul encountered uh, a closed door into Asia Minor, then when he tried to head back north towards the Black Sea, God shut that door again, not just once, but twice. And you know, sometimes as children of God, we can become frustrated when it seems like we're trying to do God's will, but we keep getting a door slammed in our face. But when you look at the Bible for references to open and close doors, you'll find there are about six or seven times that it speaks about God opening up a door of opportunity. However, there's only one verse that infers that God will close doors. That's in Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 Jesus says these things says he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of David he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens See Jesus is speaking to the church of Philadelphia there and he's identifying himself by saying this so it is true that that God shuts doors in our lives but he isn't the only one who shuts doors Notice he didn't say he's the only one who shuts doors there, just as he does. See, when we're trying to serve God and we encounter a closed door, it's very important that our first question should be, is this God who shut the door on me? Did God shut that door on me? Why? Why? Because sometimes other people close the door on us. Sometimes it's Satan himself. Sometimes it's the demonic forces that are within this world. And they try to place obstacles in our way of service and dedication to the Lord. So just because you might encounter resistance or difficulty in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean that God has shut the door. If God has clearly sent you in a certain direction... Then we need to do what verse 8 says in Revelation 3. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. We need to start going in there. And if the devil starts trying to close the door, we need to kick it down and open it back up. We must kick it down and open it back up because we have the strength from God, from Jesus himself. He just told us that. Praise the Lord for that. You know, there's a funny story about the gospel singing group singing at a country church. And as they were singing, uh, this is a very conservative uh, band, you know, a conservative quartet. And they're singing and the members of their church started bringing out snakes to try to handle them. And, well, the singer was like looking at the pastor and like, I'm not going to be part of this. Where's the back door? Pastor says, well, we don't have a back door. And so the the lead singer says, well, where do you want one? Because I'm going through there. In other words, when Satan comes in your life and closes a door, when an adversary comes in your life and tries to block your way, you need to knock through that resistance. You need to knock through that resistance. However, if you are certain that it was God that closed that door, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Just start looking for another door that God has opened up for you. Told you I quote Henry Blackaby. And he he wrote this quote. When you begin to follow God and circumstances seem to close doors of opportunity, go back to the Lord and clarify what God said. He most often is not calling you to a task, but to a relationship. And through that relationship, he's going to do something through your life. Isn't that great? See, when God said no to Paul... It was just because he was about to say yes to something better. Sometimes our disappointments in life can be God's appointments. Let me say that again. It's so important. Sometimes our disappointments in life can be God's appointments. So don't let those closed doors bother you. The things we think of as failures and problems can often lead up to be blessings in disguise. Kind of talked about that with some of the testimonies we heard this, uh, this evening. So, as we consider open and closed doors, the first thing we need to learn about finding and following God's will is to learn that God will guide us if we only trust Him. That's number one. Number two, when a door is shut, we cannot be disappointed. And that leads us to our next principle, number three. Be active as you look for God's open door. Be active as you look for God's open door. See, when Paul encountered these closed doors in Galatia and in Mysia, he didn't give up and return back to Antioch. He didn't just sit there and sulk and complain either. The worst thing he could have done would have been to sit still and do nothing. Maybe even say, okay, God, I'm just going to sit here and wait on you now. So just tell me when you need me to move and I'll just wait for your call. But instead, what did he do? He kept on moving. He made it in another direction in his path. And that was West. And then God, as he was heading West, directed him to take that gospel into Europe and open that, that door. Have you ever been excited about an opportunity and suddenly found that door closed? The worst thing you can do is to camp out at that closed door. So we cannot quit. We need to keep on moving and God will direct our paths. But wait, Pastor, what about that that verse? We're supposed to be waiting on the Lord. Well, waiting isn't supposed to be a passive experience. Waiting on the Lord is like how a waiter serves you at dinner. They wait for you to complete, but they're still actively doing something in the background. So it's like us going to God, and when He closes one door, we keep on moving and and ask the Lord, Hey, may I take your order, Lord? Is there anything else that I can do for you, Lord? What else do you want me to do, Lord? Let me give you an example in my life. When I first started back in ministry in 2003, I had zero aspirations, zero callings to be in full-time ministry, none in 2003. But while I was serving as a missionary and then as a youth pastor and doing other things, God let me know at a certain point in my life that he wanted me to be full-time. So in 2005, I started to apply for jobs at churches and, and some of you may know this, some of you may not. I started applying for jobs at churches for a full-time pastor, but never received one phone call. I prayed about it, and I prayed so hard, and I kept asking God, why do you tell me to do this, and then you don't do anything for me? I got discouraged. I thought the will for my life was to be able to be a full-time pastor. And one day he just hit me over the head and says, Nick, slow down. Just listen to me and follow me. So I started following him and just listening to every word step by step. Instead of looking at a long-term goal, I just looked for today. What do I need to do for today? And then one day I realized I needed to get an education, biblical education. So I went back to school and I got my bachelor's in biblical studies and then uh, eventually uh, got my master's in theology. And, and I was doing this, as many of you know, as I was working as a full time salesman. And many of you realize that I was on a plane where I was on the ground and I would leave the airport and come straight here many of days. Now I wasn't I'm not complaining about that, but I was doing all this in the interim. But I still felt that God was leading me into full-time ministry. But I didn't push. I just waited and waited. And then about a year after I received my my master's degree, I'm already working on my PhD, and I felt God say, it's time. And as you you know, I went up and became a full-time pastor. See, this happened... 10 years after I felt God called me to full-time ministry. 10 years. But I had to keep on moving. I had to do things, things on my journey that would benefit me today as a full-time pastor. And I had to keep on going with my education. And I even after I became a pastor with my master's working on my PhD, I finally finished my PhD you know, a few, quite a few years ago. And I got it in biblical studies. And I praise the Lord he was able to let me do that. But the point is, I kept on moving forward with God and uh, leading me in my path. I didn't stay still. I wasn't stagnant. See, there's an important principle that I like to call spiritual momentum. Spiritual momentum. See, it's easier for God to be able to direct a person if he or she is already in motion serving him. Let me put it a different way. A boat that's dead in the water, dead still in the water, it's not gonna be able to get turned by the rudder, is it? It needs to be in motion for that rudder to be effective. Otherwise, it's dead in the water. In the same way, if you're seeking God's direction, we cannot sit still. Because if we are, the rudder's not working. You're dead in the water. We must continue to do what we know God wants us to do. And that's whatever God wants, period. And eventually you'll find out what God wants for your life. So if you are active in serving God anywhere you can, it's easier for him to direct you in the different paths of service. And you can also walk through God's open door of opportunity, and it could be like two French horns, French doors open. But when you get through those French doors, and even as wide open as it be, you might be confronted by a, a mob of angry people on the other side. You know, Paul, well, he had an open door in Ephesus, didn't he? And he also faced great opposition while he was there. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he wrote, uh, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. See, when you are actively looking for God's open doors, yeah, you might face opposition. It might not even feel right. But if you know it's from God, you need to go through the door anyway. You must go through that door. And the most important consideration is not whether it seems right to you or not. But if God's will uh, will be glorified through it, then you must proceed. So when you find God's uh, direction, now you need to move immediately. And in Acts 16.10, back to our original text, it says that they sailed immediately. And they started to head west and they made a straight line over to the coast. In other words, they had this heavenly tailwind. You know, when I used to fly a lot, I used to leave Florida, I used to leave Melbourne, Florida, jump to Atlanta and from Atlanta fly out to Seattle. And I used to do that in the morning, early in the morning, and I would be back in the evening. But coming back, going out there took about seven hours. And with the total trip, coming back took five. Why? Because we had a tailwind. See, that's the heavenly tailwind that we can expect from God. If we're going in the direction that God wants us to be, that tailwind is going to get us there. And we'll get there sooner than we believe we might get there. And it's going to be a wonderful feeling to know. When we're going in that right direction, even though there might be human uh, opposition and it might not feel right, we're still going to have that tailwind from heaven. So as we consider these open and closed doors in our lives, the first thing that we need to find out about finding and following God's will is that God will guide you if you would only trust him. Number two, that when a door is shut, we cannot get discouraged. Number three, we need to be active as we look for God's open door. And here's our final principle for tonight. Number four, don't depend on doors alone to find God's will. Don't depend on doors alone to find God's will. See, circumstances are not the best way to discern God's direction at all times. And you know, I remember speaking to a couple in Kentucky uh, who worked together while they were at the post office and both were already married to other people, but then they started to become romantically involved and eventually married themselves. Well, what happened there was two broken, two, two marriages end up in divor- and divorces, two broken families. And when I, when I spoke to them, they, even their new marriage was unraveling. And both of them, well, they claim to be Christians. And I'll never forget the question the man said that day. He says, if God didn't want us together, well, why did he open the door for us to even meet? And if he didn't want us to proceed with the romantic relationship, why didn't he just close that door? Well, I politely suggested to him that, you know, maybe it wasn't God who opened that door. And it doesn't do any good to lock your door once the thief is already inside. In other words, using open and closed doors to find God's will, it can be risky business. Circumstances might be deceiving, especially when you're looking at them from the wrong perspective. So we need to be very careful how we interpret circumstances. Circumstances. Many times we just jump to a conclusion way, way too quickly. And when we do, a lot of wrong things might happen to us. And if we try to look at it that way, and we try to seek God from the middle of the circumstances, well, we're looking at it from the wrong angle. So when we face those difficult or confusing circumstances, the spirit of God will take the word word of God. And it will help us understand the circumstances from God's perspective. Any of you ever received the the Sears Roebuck catalog years ago? Remember the thick catalog, how thick it was? And inside that catalog, if you remember, they had three categories of, you know, good, better and best. Do you remember that? You know, as an example, if you wanted to buy a lawnmower, you could buy a very basic lawnmower. It was good. If you wanted more with some more horsepower, it was better. And then if you got one that was self-propelled and, you know, is the Mac Daddy of lawnmowers, it was the best. You remember that? Well, when it comes to finding God's will, I want to give you a good way, a better way, and the best way. All right, none of them are bad, but a good way, a better way, and a best way. The first is the good way. Which is circumstances. Circumstances can often be God's external guide for us. This is often called God's providential guidance. And it does happen in our lives. Sometimes you can look at God's will and by looking at the circumstances and, and seems to reveal those open and closed doors. As a matter of fact, God has promised us in Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. 32, verse 8 and 9. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. See, the key is for this is that we need to have an intimate walk with the Lord. Notice there is an adjective before the, the verb, right? We can't just have a walk. We need to have an intimate walk with the Lord. That way he can guide you with his eye. Let me give you an idea. With my kids, and I have one back there uh, that needs to see this right now. Uh, If they're misbehaving in a public setting, I give them, you know, the glare. They call it the death glare. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. They know that when I give them that glare, they need to settle down. Otherwise, they're going to get it when we get home. And it worked for them. But it doesn't necessarily work for all kids. Why? Well, because those other kids are not necessarily as close to me as my kids are. That's the good. That's the circumstances. Here's the better. And the better is the Holy Spirit. God's spirit dwells inside of us, inside of all of his children that have accepted him as as their savior. And and so the Holy Spirit is our internal guide. Praise the Lord for that. And it's interesting in that in Acts 16, in this passage that we read that Luke writes, it was the Holy Spirit who prevented Paul from going out to Asia Minor. Remember that in verse six? It was the Holy Spirit that did that. So if we're seeking God's will, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Have you ever heard God's still small voice? If you've listened carefully enough, you've you've heard God's still small voice. When God starts speaking to your heart, He doesn't usually employ an audible voice in our life, but that still small voice is much louder than that, isn't it? But the problem with a lot of people is that God is speaking to them, but we're not listening carefully enough to hear him. So are you listening intently to what God is saying to you? Are you listening intently to what God is saying to you? Are you tuned into the master's voice? As a child of God, we should be able to learn and recognize His voice, that distinct voice from everything else that happens in our minds. You know, in Bible times, those flocks of sheep, they were placed many times in a center sheepfold with other people's sheep. And while the shepherd entered the sheepfold, he could call out to the sheep and only the sheep that belonged to him would come running to him because they recognized his voice. See, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you will recognize his voice if you just listen for it. John 10, 27, you know the verse well. My sheep will hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So three sources quickly for finding God's will, the good, the circumstances, the better is the Holy Spirit. But let me give you the best God's word, God's word. See, circumstantial guidance is good. The inner voice of God's spirit is better. But the very best is to read and study your Bible. To read and study your Bible. This is God's eternal guide. And by the way, eternal doesn't start when we leave here. It's also for us while we're here. Understand that. This Bible is for not just for our afterlife, but for our current life. We have to find God's will in this Bible. and We do that by studying His words. And by the way, don't just throw it on the table and flop it open and uh, let, let it flop open on the table and open up to a certain page and think that God's talking to you in that verse or two. I'm not saying he'll never do that. But it's like that one man who did that and, you know, he started flipping the pages and, you know, somebody told him to stop. And he pointed at a verse and says, and Judas went out and hanged himself and he didn't like that verse. So he tried it again and his finger came to rest on a verse that says, go thou and do likewise. (laughs) It sounds funny, but that's my point. It's not always God's will just doing it that way. You have to study it. You have to be serious. You have to be consistent in being a student of God's word. And you will find that the word of God will light your pathway. Psalm 119 verses 104 and 105. Psalm 119, 104 and 105. It says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, reading God's word will teach us what are the right and the wrong paths to be taking. And if we start going down those wrong paths, as we enter into those wrong doors, well, we're we're entering into a lot of turmoil, unnecessary turmoil in our lives. See, God's word teaches us not to do, uh, it, it teaches us what not to do as much as it teaches us how to live. So as we regularly study and read God's word, we'll find God will use a phrase or a verse or a passage. And it'll apply to our current situation that we're, that's going on in our lives. It's as if those words literally jump out of the page and grab us by the throat. You know, there's a unique harbor in Italy, and it only can be reached by sailing through this narrow channel, and it has dangerous rocks on either side of it. And through the years, many, many ships have, have wrecked, and they've, as they try to enter into that harbor at night. Well, before GPS was around, they entered by using three light poles, there would be a light on each side of the, the shoreline with the rocks and one right in the middle of the harbor. And the captains, as they, they sailed their ships into this harbor, would line the three lights up perfectly and between each other, the same amount of space on either side. So they knew they were on that right path, that centered path. If only two were lined up, they knew they needed to change their, path, their, ch- change their course but in the same way, God has provided three lights for you and me. And we, when we line those lights up, which are the circumstances, the voice of the Holy Spirit and His Word, when we line those three things up, that's when we know we can proceed safely. So when we face a shut door, let's first make sure that God shut it. And then we need to look for his open door. But when we do. We need to be able to depend on his voice. And depend on his word. Before we walk through that door. There's another door in scripture. That God can't open. And it's the door of your heart. In Revelation 3.20. Jesus says. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. And opens the door. I'll come into him and dine with him. And he with me. You probably know the famous painting that was made by Holman Hunt about this verse called The Light of the World. And that's Jesus standing at the door knocking. When he first made it, art critics all over the world criticized him because he didn't have a doorknob on the door. And he told them and corrected them by explaining that the door was representing a person's heart and the doorknob was on the inside. See, Jesus isn't going to force his way into your heart. He isn't going to open your door of your heart. Only you can do that for him. So he's standing there. He's knocking and he's waiting. And he's asking you to come, to allow him to come into your life. So will you open up your life to him? Nick Manzie is Senior Pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at Pastor Nick Central Baptist PSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast.